All right, you guys are running on bonus time. Sorry for being late. I needed something warm for my throat, and we were out of water back there. So uh, if your Bible is still open to Revelation 5 from the beginning, you can leave it there. And then if you're not open to Revelation 5, open up to Revelation 5, and then uh, if you would delight in standing for the reading of the word, if you would stand when you arrive. I'm going to open my notes. We were a part of a charismatic church a number of years ago, um, and the pastor got ordained as an Anglican bishop. And so you can imagine to the dismay of a Pentecostalish community, like, what are we doing all that funny liturgy stuff for? But it was such a beautiful season. And uh, that's where my first ministry license came from. So that's always just marked me. And so I got a little bit of love for like liturgy and just the honoring of the word and like keeping communion at the forefront. And those are just things that I learned in that season. So I think some of those traditions, like Paul said to Timothy, to pass those on, um, just been enjoying those. but I'm not gonna preach on that for 30 minutes while you're standing up with your Bible. Revelation chapter five, I'm gonna read 11 through 14, and uh, I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. It's a new one that's come out that has grabbed my heart. It says, then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and power and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this most beautiful picture in scripture, we thank you for those spots like Isaiah 6 when you didn't just come down, but you brought men up to see where you live, to look at your living room, to see your house, to see how you decorate, to see how you govern, see what you like. And we love you and we thank you for these windows, just these glimpses. And so we just ask you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to just open our minds and open our hearts as we peer into some of these um, just these windows that you've opened up. And so, Father, we just, we ask you for that call that you gave to John when you said, come up here. And our heart is, Lord, we want to go up there. We want to see. We want to know. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for searching the deep things of God, revealing them to spiritual people. And we ask that your word would run swiftly, that it would be glorified, and that we would have fun in your word. We thank you that your word excites the heart. It heals the soul. Even your law just inspires worship. It's the revelation of who you are, the revelation of the heart of the law giver. And we just thank you for the revelation of the heart and the testimony of Jesus all throughout scriptures. And we love you. We bless you. And we thank you so much for the Bible. Amen and amen. Wow, I prayed the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> My eyes were shut the whole time. And so when I opened them, like, wow, <laughs> glory. Okay. Um, last Friday night, 
not last night. Um, the Friday before that, and I led worship last Saturday, and uh, Marshall taught. But that Friday night, it had been a while since I'd had a dream from the Lord, and I love dreams from the Lord. Now, I do think that we can get into danger when we're always pursuing the encounter without the beautiful boundary lines drawn up for us from the scriptures to get to know God. Like eternal life is to know him, and so that as you grow and you're knowing of a person, you can recognize when someone else is like trying to be that person. Um, and so it becomes the safeguard to really like, is the encounter I'm having, is this the person I know or is something off? Like sometimes you guys might call Allie and she's not by her phone and I answer the phone and I'm like, hello? They're like, David. And I'm like, no, this is Allie. They're like, David, put Allie on the phone. I'm like, no, this is really Allie. And just obviously not her. It's a dumb example, but it's the same principle. Like, you know her voice well enough to know that when I pick up the phone and say hello, you know it's me being a goofball. So you know her and you know me at, at least at a level to be able to recognize that. It's the same thing, like when you know God. And the word of the Lord is the Holy Spirit's favorite chariot to ride in, an old saint said. And when you just give your life to know him through the word, then the encounter comes. And uh, so when I reach out to the Lord and ask him for things like dreams and visions, it's not for the sake of having a, a woozy little bit for myself, because um, I like spirituality. Like men, can dis men and women through the ages have been able to discipline their bodies to have spiritual encounters. This happens a lot and it's very widespread. And this is one of the reasons like the new agers, like they look at the church and they're like, they are really missing out because they don't see a spiritual people. They might see a heady people, but they don't see a people of deep spirituality that what they know ushers them into a spiritual encounter. And so they kind of look at us as like, well, we don't, we're kind of ignorant and we don't really know what's going on. Um, so eternal life is to know God. And so if, how do you know a person without encountering them? And so it's like this both and, not an either or thing. And so when I reach out for dreams from God, again, it's not just to have like a woozy season and have like a new age type encounter. It's like, I just want to be closer to my friend. I want to know more about him. If my heart's drifting away, it's like I run back to the word and I'm like, just God, I, I really want to know you more. The very first time um, I asked for a dream from the Lord uh, was when we moved here and I had been saved maybe a year and I was reading a book that had just come out um, by Banning Leapshire, and it, it was titled Jesus Culture. And a really good book, but something kind of funny was going on in the book is he'd always talk about these dreams that he had, and then they would bear out in real life, and he'd start connecting things that happened in real life with the dream. And so I had asked the Lord in that book, because it just provoked me, I'm like, I want a dream. But it wasn't, I want a dream so that I can write a book and have a cool story and people can go, wowee. It was just, my deduction of logic was, I'm, I don't like going to sleep because the conversation between me and him has to stop because I have to sleep. So if I can dream and be aware of what I'm dreaming, I would really like to continue the conversation as I go to sleep. 
And so that was really my heart posture. And so in this season, again, I'm just like, God, it's been a while and I've, I miss you in the night seasons. There might be general peace or um, like I always usually go to bed with some sort of image of Revelation 4 and 5, Isaiah chapter 6, just a throne room image just in my mind as I sleep and I just have my head all scrunched up on my, my pillow that's gonna save America and I'm just like, they're so comfy, let me tell you. You feel them and you're like, those are weird feeling pillows, but you put your head on one and you sleep on one and then you wake up. You know when pillows get old and they get all bunchy and they're just perfect? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tab 20. Anyway, I just, I like the my pillows. But I always try to have my thoughts on, on the Lord. But it had been a while since I had a dream. So last Friday, he visited me with three dreams in a row. Like, I would get up, you know, maybe have to go visit the restroom, and then go back to bed. So I would wake up after each three dream, but they were, they were very similar. It wasn't the same exact dream, but it was the same scenario over and over again. And uh, some of you remember from last week, I shared it because it still just like gripped me. And it's gripped me with one word, worthy. He is worthy. And nothing like profound as far as the detail, but I remember the first dream was, I think we as a group had been invited to go do ministry somewhere and we were running behind schedule and what else is new, but we were run, running really behind schedule. And uh, the folks we were visiting were getting kind of antsy. We were getting antsy. Chris was like wondering what's going on with the sound system. And anyway, there was just this uneasiness of like the production's not ready. It's not organized. We're not ready to start, but we have to start. Do we wing it and just go? And there was just this high stress moment and the Lord just had me in the dream just kind of pause and just wait. Guys, come here. Like, he's worthy. And the more I begin to say it, the more it just brought peace into the environment where it's like, you know, let's just let go of like the human details to try to make it cool. And let's just have a prayer meeting right now. And really the whole prayer meeting was just, he's worthy. And as I would say it, it would just just bring a baptism of peace or a wave of peace just each time. He's worthy. He's worthy. Like, it's not about every organizational and technical piece being in place. It's he's worthy. Like, we're here for him, and we had gotten so, like, focused on everything that's going wrong that it's like we forgot we're here for him. And so it was just this plumb line coming back to us of he's worthy. And so the ministry and the dream that we had never, or that we had planned never took place, but it was okay because we were all gripped by he's worthy. Woke up, second dream, same, same scenario, same, uh, but a, a little bit different setting. Um, and again, just he's worthy, just begin to wash over all of us. And it was a little bit more intense and that one, just the washing just hit a deeper place where it was just, bringing a deeper peace of he's worthy, he's worthy. Woke up again, go back to sleep. And uh, same scenario, different setting, a little bit higher stakes. I think it was a bigger venue or something. And um, we were all freaking out and you know, funny stuff was going on with my pedal board or something. I, just nothing was working. And uh, in this one though, like 
instead of just surface frazzled. You know how when people get frazzled and they get snappy? Like this, people started getting into full-on panic mode. And so I remember like gathering everyone in the front and the altar area, and we just sat in a circle. Or not sat, but just stood in a circle. And just the same thing, guys. I didn't like give a speech on it, doesn't matter. I'm just like, he's worthy. He is worthy. Just plumb lining everyone there back to the central point of Jesus. Like, he's worthy. If this doesn't happen according to our plans, he's worthy. He's worthy. And I remember just walking around in the circle, like, you know, sometimes in sports teams in the locker room, they they gather around, everyone's like hooping and hollering, and you have your hype guy in the middle. He's like, what? And like, you know, quack, quack, quack. And uh, Mighty Ducks reference. Um, So I was just in the middle, but I wasn't like super hype, but I was just like, he's worthy. And it just got more and more intense emotionally. It was just washing us in deeper places with just that simple phrase, he's worthy, he's worthy. And I remember people kind of snapped out of their crabbiness and snapped out of their panic and started calming down. But then everyone shifted into this mode of agreement with me, but it was more like the agreement that the people had with Josiah. Remember when Josiah heard the law and he wept, had this deep emotional encounter, um, but he read it in the people and it used a different word for here. When Josiah heard it, it went inside of him and it touched him in an internal level. When he read the law in front of the, the people, it doesn't use an internal word for hearing. It uses an external word for hearing as it went into their ear organ and that's it. They heard the, the words, they heard the noise, but it did not hit their heart and they never wept. And so, you know, is progress. We went from all out panic to like, okay, I agree. And so everyone was more like matter of fact, like, yeah, he's worthy. And just given kind of like a, their best Christian, like, Agreeable, Yeah, amen, he's worthy. And I saw this just like, yeah, but it's not hitting you. Like you're saying it, but it's not hitting you. So I remember just still washing us over with that phrase, he's worthy, he's worthy. And everyone started coming into more of an agreement, but it was still matter of fact. And I just remember like beginning to weep and like, say it till you cry, he's worthy. Say it till you cry, he's worthy. And then I woke up and I've just been gripped with that word like ever since. And it's just such a blessing from the Lord because one, I had fun with him. I'm like, that was so sweet. Thank you for answering my prayer. But then two, like for him to do that in this season, like he just always knows exactly what we want. So even in this season of transition, like peeling old wineskins back, like building new things, there's lots of details to focus on And I'm not saying that those are wholly inappropriate. But I'm saying for my own heart, for the hearts of everyone here and that will be here, like Jesus is at the center of this and we're doing this because he likes it. Not because it's a good idea, not just because I want a prayer room to go to because that's one of the reasons I started the prayer room. River City House of Prayer had shut down 
And I didn't have a prayer room to go to, and I wanted a prayer room to go to. So we were either going to move to Kansas City, Orlando, or Atlanta, or we were going to start one. And just through a series of divine events, like the Lord made it very clear, start one in San Antonio. So we did. So like more than anything, it's like, you guys can come or not. I have a prayer room that I can go to. And then when we moved into this building, just the dream of my heart was fulfilled. Those back tables. Mm. You can just bring out all the books and the Bibles and the pens and the notebooks and just sprawl out before Jesus. Just all the wisdom and knowledge and treasures that we've been given in the Western world and just approach his throne in his house. Oh my goodness. And so I wanted a prayer room, but again, like this is about him because he likes it. Like that was David's heart too. It said he realized that God made him king for the sake of the people. In other words, he understood that he had touched the heart of the father in a way that the Lord brought him into a place of leadership and influence, not just to generally bless him, but to put him there for the sake of the people so that what he had as an individual could be opened up at not just the corporate local church level, but the national level and walk his nation into an open heaven that, yeah, it brought blessing. Yeah, it brought all the material stuff, but oh my goodness, the encounter they had during the window of the tabernacle of David that just shifted everything to the point where Jesus is not ashamed to be called that man's son. And he makes it a point in us to remember, like even in the New Testament, uh, Brad brought up one of them before the begots in Matthew, Jesus, the son of David. At the very end of Revelation, Jesus says of himself, oh yeah, don't forget, David's also my dad. I'm the root and the offspring of David. My goodness gracious me. But uh, this series of dreams, it, it was very refreshing to my own soul, again, especially in this season of transition. Because when we get busy and we get overwhelmed with details and meetings, I, I love meetings, Doree. I do, I really do. I had fun the last one. You guys, are, you guys are amazing. It's fun to do meetings with fun people. It's not fun to do meetings with boring people. And everyone here is fun, so problem solved. But it's easy for me, I don't know if it's easy for you, but it's easy to get so bogged down in the, the details and the schedule of everything that it's really like we become, you know, Jesus in name only, and then we have this social club. Even, you know, we, we're serious about some things, like, you know, engage your community in different ways, and the urgency of the hour, and we, we carry, like, some serious perspectives on, uh, on certain things. And so we can have that, but still, like, lose track that Jesus is at the center because he's worthy, and everything is for him, by him, through him, flows from him, flows back to him. And so just this week and considering like just these simple phrases, like he's worthy, he's worthy. Like one of the things that just thundered in my own spirit is like, we're not a social club. We're not just a business organization that has some good ideas. But what's un what unites us is the unique person of Jesus, his beauty, his pleasure, and his vision. That's the centerpiece of who we are as a family the divine worth of Jesus, and he is worthy.
And so naturally, like just being gripped by this word, I wanted to go through scripture and just see the magnitude of its use. What I was surprised to find is there's really not like this widespread use of the word, specifically like towards God. It was interesting. Um, So I kind of want to go on a journey, culminate a few things, and then like really get back into worship and just finish with he's, he is worthy, and then come to the communion table together. Um, But this surprised me as well. In the Old Testament, we really don't see the word worthy um, in the original languages like we do in the Greek and the New Testament. Uh, We see the word in English, um, but the concepts behind the word, when we see it in English, worthy in the Old Testament, the concepts behind the word are usually more about strength, weakness, wisdom, and foolishness. So it's like, you know, if you're strong in the Lord, you're, you'll get this blessing. And so some of the translators will be like, if you're worthy, then you'll enter into this blessing. Or, you know, if you do such and such in a, a, a negative sense, then you're worthy of death. But, you know, the connotation is more like you're foolish or you're weak. Um, in the New Testament, we begin to see variations of the word in a more direct way. Um, but this kind of shocked me as well, because we have so many songs about Jesus is worthy, and we just read one of the scriptures, and we're going to look at that at the end. But I was expecting, like, more, like, directed to God. Like, there's more worthy scriptures directed at, at us as individuals. The majority of the time, but uh, for instance, like John the Baptist's message one of them was bear fruits worthy of repentance. Or when Jesus said a worker is worthy of his food or a worker is worthy of his wages. Um, or when Jesus said, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Um, Jesus also taught us to pray always that we would be counted worthy. Um, Paul admonishes us to walk worthy of our calling. So like you have the word worthy and it's really like all pointed at us. Like depending on, who we are that moves our hand and foot and according to our deeds that are done in the body, like we present ourselves as worthy or or unworthy um, for certain things. And and we can go on, you can just look up worthy in whatever Bible translation these these things will pop up to you. But after my dreams, I was surprised that there really weren't many scriptures directed specifically at Jesus. Like you go through almost the whole New Testament and you get near the end. You're like, where are all the worthy scriptures about Jesus? There's great descriptions about Jesus, especially in in the first little bits of Colossians is just one of the gold mines of just the beauty of Jesus. And so like there's spots that just blow your heart up with the knowledge of God. But the concept of worthy was, I I was kind of puzzled and funny to, or uh, just kind of like why, but it, kind of made it easy because it really like isolated just a few, a few scriptures for us. Instead of having this sea of things to put together, it was really, it was more of a strategic sniper shot, I guess. Um, backing up to the Old Testament, the first time we see worthy in an English translation is in 2 Samuel 22, verse 4. Um, you can turn there if you want, you don't have to. But it says, I call upon Yahweh who's worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. And so 
you have it there, and then you have it in Psalm chapter 18, verse three. Both are the same exact song. One is just recorded in 2 Samuel as the historical account, and then the other one is put in, in the collection of songs in the book of Psalms for the singers to sing. Um, but again, it says, I will call upon Yahweh who's worthy to be praised. Now, it's really difficult in either of those two scriptures, which again is the same exact song. It's really difficult to extrapolate anything too deep um, because the translators... And, and this isn't a bad thing when you hear this. I have to preface that. Uh, the translators added the word worthy to help it read smooth for us. Because otherwise it would read more like caveman talk. And it wouldn't be as f- good of a flow to read. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the rendering. I call upon Yahweh who's worthy to be praised. Like we can all agree. Like he is worthy to be praised. There's nothing wrong with that. So that's why I say it's not a... It's not a bad thing, but if we were to read, I call upon Yahweh who's worthy to be praised in a literal word-for-word sense and what's actually written down in the Hebrew, it would say, call Yahweh praise. And so, again, that doesn't read very smooth. It doesn't send like a super clear message, but the people who are trained in these languages and understand context can begin to um, fill in the gaps for the modern English reader in a way that brings us to the intent of the original author. And so appreciate those guys who always work on these translations. Um, but that's also one of the reasons you gotta be careful with the translation that you have. And that's, I prefer like word for word equivalencies over dynamic paraphrases. Um, and so that's why like for years I've used the New American Standard, love the New King James, and then this new Legacy Standard Bible. It's just amazing. I think they had me at Yahweh. I don't know if you guys caught this when I would preach out of the New American Standard when it said Lord in all caps, I'd say Yahweh anyway. But now I have a Bible that just says Yahweh and it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So again, there's really not much to go off in the Old Testament language. But even when we start seeing worthy in the New Testament, it's mostly directed at us as like this conditional justice word, as if, If you do that, then you're worthy of these things happening to you. And again, that's a neutral statement. It could be positive or negative. Like if you don't take up his cross and follow him daily, you're not worthy of him. Jesus said it himself. If you do take up your cross and follow him daily, the opposite inference would be you're worthy of him, right? And so it's more of a a conditional justice word as as it relates to us. And this is really the consistent pattern of the concept until we get to Hebrews chapter three. And you can turn there with me. Until we get to Hebrews chapter three. And I'm drinking so much of this coffee. I'm gonna start talking real fast. All right, I'm gonna start in verse one, but uh, I'm gonna read through verse four. It says, therefore, holy brothers, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all of his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as the builder of the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things 
is God. The word worthy here in verse three, and when the writer of Hebrews says he, he's talking about Jesus because he's building a case for why Jesus is our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek and that he's making us a kingdom of priests to offer up spiritual sacrifices that thanksgiving would always be on our lips, which is at the end of Hebrews. But uh, so when he says he, he's talking about Jesus and it says he, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. The word for worthy here is indicating attributed value. So because Jesus did something, namely, according to this passage, he was faithful in his father's house. Because Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him, he's worthy of more glory than Moses. So the attributed value is because he did something, he's worthy. And then I love how the writer goes on because he basically calls Jesus God for the Jewish reader or really any of us who I believe can put these together with the declaration, after the declaration of worth, the writer really boldly says that Jesus is God by showing Moses is faithful in the house that Jesus built. But then he says in verse four, but the builder of all things is God. So Moses was faithful in Jesus's house, but who built that house? Well, God builds all things, so Jesus is God. And I'm like, oh wow, what a beautiful connection. But what I wanted to point out here in, in Hebrews chapter three is Jesus is worthy because of his faithfulness. And what is he worthy of? He's worthy of more glory than Moses. And then the very next time we see worthy connected to God is Revelation four and five. And so you can turn there and we'll just finish up in Revelation chapter four and five. But keep in mind the attributed value of Jesus's worth in Hebrews chapter three. He's worthy because of what he did. But in Revelation four and five, when we see worthy, things begin to shift a little bit and give us a clearer picture. And uh, I'm just gonna hit all three of the spots. I think they're familiar to most of us, but chapter four, verse nine says, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Revelation chapter five, verse nine, we'll read to the end. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. 
Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea, all the things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Backing up into uh, verse nine of chapter five. I love the picture of why Jesus is worthy. Every time you look at the word worthy, whether it's directed at us or here towards God. When you do something, you're worthy of the result, kind of like the wisdom is justified by her children type principle. And so because you do something, you're worthy. And so here in verse nine, Jesus is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. And that might seem like funny language, but just in short, without preaching another sermon, Jesus is worthy because of what he did to judge the earth. And he's the only one found worthy in heaven and on earth. It says in Revelation chapter five that can take that scroll and begin to release the judgments of the Lord in the earth. This is incredible because Jesus said in John that not even the father judges, but he's given all judgment to the son. You know, these neat little cultural phrases of Jesus, Jesus doesn't judge you. I'm like, oh, yes, (laughs) yes, he does and, and he will. And most of it comes from people not finishing that passage in John chapter three when it says, when Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. talking about his present mission, but then said, continued on in John chapter three and warned those who would continue to reject him that they're judged already. And he goes on later in the same book and says that the father has given all judgment to the son. And so Jesus, I mean, this, this, is, this is astonishing because the father doesn't even judge the earth directly, but he gives that responsibility to his son and Jesus is the one who takes the scroll and opens the seals and releases judgment. But what's, what's beautiful is why is he worthy to do that? That's a big deal. And that can be kind of scary, especially if you're on like the bad side of that. The beauty of that is if you know, you've got judgment coming towards you, like he's faithful and just to forgive you. If you confess and you forsake, as it says in Proverbs, he who confesses and forsakes finds mercy. And in that moment, you can step over the line and he can be your rock and your refuge in those tumultuous times. But why he's worthy? Why does he get the weighty task of judging the planet? For the purpose of restoration, it says, because you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood, people. And it goes on. Now, he could have purchased anything with his blood. 
Like if you consider the blood of Jesus, it's the most valuable tender of all time in all creation is his blood that was shed from an unjust murder. The unjust killing of Emmanuel. I use that name on purpose because remember, Emmanuel means God with us. God's own blood shed in an unjust murder. What can he purchase with his own blood? He could have purchased anything. He could have used his blood to purchase immediate justice like Abel. Um, He could have used his blood to uh, release vengeance and cry and, and let his blood cry out for vengeance like the martyrs do. And you know, it doesn't treat it as a bad thing. In Revelation 6, verses 10, it says of the martyrs, they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O master, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Like he could have used his blood to purchase anything But in keeping with his expressed desire in John 17, 24, that we would be with him, his blood speaks a better word than Abel. As scripture puts it, his blood speaks a better word than even those martyrs in the next chapter of Revelation. And instead of judgment on the front end, Jesus's blood cries out for you to be with him where he is. And he purchased you out from your debt of sin and made you as a living stone to be a kingdom of priests who can fellowship with him forever in the stewardship of his own creation. God built his own throne room how he wants it. He's going to restore creation back into his original purpose and he could have anyone steward his creation after the restoration of all things and he still wants you to steward creation with him. And so his blood that could have purchased anything redeemed you so you can not just be forgiven, not just be with him where he is, but continue your stewardship over the creation that we lost. Goodness gracious me. And because of that, like just revelation, like these, everything in the earth and the sea, everything in it and on it, just everyone with the loud voice, they say, Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're worthy. Now, in contrast to Hebrews 3.3, remember the attributed value in Hebrews, Jesus is worthy because he did something. It uses a slightly different word for worthy in these spots in Revelation in both chapter four and five, speaking of the father and speaking of the son. It uses a little bit different word. And in contrast to Hebrews 3.3, where, a G, where Jesus's um, attributed value was because of what he did, the word for worthy here in Revelation speaks of inherent value. So in other words, Jesus is worthy because of who he is, and then out of the overflow of who he is, he brought about salvation. I think this is just amazing. Like He's worthy because, yes, he does stuff but then he does stuff because of who he is. And the deepest place of his worth is his internals, like who he is inside. The logos of who he is, if you guys remember that word study.
Jesus, you're beautiful. The last point I wanna look at before, uh, before we wrap up and the worship team comes, comes up came from a question while I was just meditating on these verses. It says that God is worthy to receive. Slow down and consider that. I don't know if it hits you the same way that it hit me. It took me a few days for it to actually hit me. Like you have created beings telling the eternal God, the one who sits on his throne, who lacks nothing and is the source of all things. Worthy are you to receive. This seemed like a strange statement when you consider God receiving the things listed out in all these verses. You compile them together. It's glory, honor, power, riches, might, blessing, wisdom, and strength. What was strange to me was that, like, isn't God the source of these things? with an eternal supply that no one can add to or take away one drop of his honor, his power, his riches, his might, his wisdom, his strength, and his blessing. That being the case, how does God receive something that he's the eternal source of? This just began to like really bake my noodle. And I love these, these spots because it just, I love not understanding. It's just bliss. What I mean by that is, not, I don't love being foolish and ignorant. The call of Proverbs is not to stay in this simplicity and ignorance and think that that is bliss. Bliss is when you press in for more and you press in for more and you press in for more such that like your mind is just constantly blown and you're just in this constant cycle of a search and discovery. And so you learn new things by necessity and that grows. But as you learn new things, it's like, you know, in, information and wisdom and knowledge and understanding, they continue to be get, get questions that just light your heart on fire that lead you into a greater search and discovery that beget more questions. And so you just run into these walls of, I don't know what that means. Like, what's the answer? And it's just like, gah, it's just this ecstasy of, God, you're eternal. And I, I don't get it, but it's like, you don't get it because you're pressing in. Does that make sense? And so it's not, it's not a simple, it's not a simplicity, it's not an ignorance, but it's a not knowing because you're pursuing something greater than you. And so I've been, I've really just been wrestling with that. But we come back to Revelation 4, 9 through 11, and maybe this isn't like the fullness but I feel like I've got a direction that I'm, I'm heading that's kind of bringing a resolve to my soul until I can go to the, the next spot that's just gonna ignite my heart in deeper worship. But in verse nine, again, it's in Revelation chapter four, it says, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Beloved, these elders are not just casting down a trophy. Like forever, like my whole Christian walk, and even before I was a Christian, and kind of knowing a little bit about this verse, 
Like you have this image of, oh, we're going to be in heaven and we're all going to cast our crowns as if we're going to have this trophy. Like, oh, this trophy's garbage. I don't want it anymore. You can have it because you're so much more beautiful than the trophy. I don't think these elders are throwing down a trophy. I feel like they're casting down their own glory, their own honor, their power, and they're submitting their strength and their virtues to God the source to use for his pleasure. So likewise, beloved, we cast down our strength, our virtue, our wisdom, our resource, and submit our whole lives to Jesus because by him and through him and for him, all things exist and were created. And while we were yet sinners, he used his own blood to purchase us back unto himself. And because of these things, we take our crowns of honor that he has given us and we lay them at his feet even now for his good pleasure, and we say, worthy are you, Jesus, to receive. I think that's how God receives honor and glory and power, because he doesn't need it. He's already got it all. But because we're called into a love relationship, the beauty of you taking by will your honor your power, your strength, your talents, your schedules, your resources, and laying them at his feet for his good pleasure. So kind of going back to the beginning, beloved, we're not a club of people merely organized into programs. God forbid, like we ever become that. We're a company united around the unique person of Jesus Christ. We're also not here to rally around David Lee Brown's vision. It is only to the degree that I keep my vision on Jesus and because of your mutual gaze upon him, we can press on towards the vision of Christ for our house, for our state, for our nation and the nations of the earth. with a deep longing to know the testimony of Jesus and see his desires fulfilled in the earth as it is in heaven. And he is worthy of these things. Amen and amen. Worship team. Hmm. the worship team's coming up. Can I get two volunteers to serve communion? Wasn't able to grab that. Cool. Thank you, guys. I want us to do a couple things. You can use the altar. You can stay at your seat. Um, He's omnipresent. But if you want the decision point of an an altar open, like, that's fine. Um, Ask the Lord and really wait for the answer. And worship team, you guys do this too. Ask the Lord, what is your crown? What have you been crowned with?
And I don't want you to see it as giving it up, but like these 24 elders, what does it look like to completely submit that to Christ? Even in all the phases, like Hebrews says, consider him, the apostle and the high priest, God with us. What would it look like to submit our crowns to the cross of Christ? What would it look like to watch our glory be nailed to the cross and die? What would it look like for our crown to be buried with him? But beloved, what would it look like as you're resurrected with him for him to give you and trust you with that crown again as you come up out of the grave with him? As you ascend on high and you're seated with him in heavenly places. Consider all four of those stages. What does it look like for you to let go and have Jesus resurrect and ascend your crown to a place where you function from the throne room? In your glory, your honor, your power, your riches and might, your blessing, what does it look like to submit those things to him See them buried, see them resurrected, and see them ascend. As we just sing, you're worthy. You're worthy of it all.